December is a busy time. There's a lot of preparation, but in our house it kicks off mid-November because once our youngest son has his birthday, we then slide into Thanksgiving and it is just non-stop celebration after celebration. There are multiple birthdays. There was an anniversary that just happened. There's end-of-year performances that our kids participate in. And oh yeah, Christmas, all these other things that I talk about, right? We're always getting ready. There's something. We're making lists. We're shopping. We're planning for travel. It's, it's just kind of chaos. Um, But through it all, as Christians, as people who are wanting to follow Jesus, we're supposed to be preparing for the coming of Christ. But how? Because this is what Advent actually is. It's actually not supposed to be Christmas early. It's meant to be a time of preparation, of waiting, of getting ready for the arrival And so as a church, we lean into kind of church history and what the church has been doing for centuries, practicing this season of waiting daily, which I hate waiting myself. I'm terrible at it. But this practice that began in the 5th century still continues to this day. And so the passages that we read from Scripture during this time, as we join in with the whole church calendar, are meant to be preparing our hearts for his coming of Christ And so that's where we pick back up this week in the book of Luke. If you were with us last week, this is a continuation of that passage. If you weren't and you want to check it out, there's a podcast. You can listen to any of the sermons. But we're back in Luke chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, it'll be on the screen. But it's always one of those good things to kind of get yourself into the scripture. But I want to give you a warning. This is not the warm, fuzzy Luke 2 story of Mary, you know, holding baby Jesus. This is a little different. We pick up in verse 7 from Luke chapter 3. John, who we heard about last week, John the Baptist, John Jesus' cousin, He says to the crowds who are coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, real Christmas music, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked John, and what should we do? He replied, don't don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly, and all were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John 
exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. John has gathered a crowd. People are coming to him in masses to be baptized, and he is preaching something exciting and fresh. See, these people, as it said, they were expectantly waiting for this coming Messiah. Are the prophecies that have been preached, are these going to be fulfilled in John? And they're excited, and he's charismatic, and he's calling people to do something more, and they're full of all of this anticipation. And what does he call out to them? You brood of vipers. I have to say, my son Eli here, he is a huge fan of snakes and reptiles of all kinds, and it creeps me out. And I know that there's a few people out there who like the slithery, sneaky creatures, but the vast majority of us know that being called a snake of any kind is not a good thing. Snakes in scripture are associated with full-on rebellion from God. They're conniving and selfish and destructive. I don't think that God hates snakes, but when a person is given that label, you know it is not a good thing. And so John is looking at these people, and he's like, who told you to come? Why is it that you're coming down here to get baptized? Do you really understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what it is I am preaching Have you ever gotten caught up in some kind of movement just because it's exciting and it seems like everybody's doing it? And you just want to be where the action is, and so you have a desire to get caught up in the excitement and the energy. But you're not actually planning to change. Do you guys remember the ice bucket challenge from 2014? Anybody? in the world was that? I actually had to go back and look up, like, what was that for? I remember just a lot of people filming themselves, throwing ice water on their heads and screaming. I think it did, in the end, raise a good amount of money for ALS research, but the reality is, I didn't change anything about my life. I think more recently, back to the summer of 2020, the city streets across the world filled up with people marching and chanting and holding signs that declare that black lives actually do matter. Polls estimate that somewhere between 15 and 26 million people just in the United States participated in demonstrations. Every now and then, though, there would be someone in the crowd or there would be someone maybe responding to a social media post, speaking specifically to the white protesters, and questioning and challenging them, saying, are you really going to change? Are you really going to risk your relationships and wager your power, or are you just caught up in the crowd? Are you ready to deal with the racism in your own life and the organizations you're a part of? Are you ready to give away some of what you have amassed in order to make things right? If you're one of the white folks out there, you're like, wait, hold, hold on a minute. I'm doing the right thing, right? I'm saying I believe in this. In the same way, though, John is speaking to those who are coming to get baptized, saying, what are you doing? Who told you to do this? Yes, get baptized. Just like, yes, march on. But John is calling them out. He's saying you're here to get baptized because everyone's doing it, but you have no intention on changing. He is cutting right to the heart with these people because he wants to be clear 
John is living in reality and trying to get these people to as well. One of the things that we say at Mosaic all of the time is that God loves you so much, he only needs you where you really are. Not where you think you should be, not where you want to be, but where you actually are. And this is a perfect example of how this plays out in Scripture. The people are coming, essentially giving lip service to what it is that John is preaching, but he won't let them pretend. He says, no, this isn't what actually is going on in your heart. As we say about repentance, it is agreeing with God about reality. And John is saying, there's not going to be any real change in you. You're not ready for this coming Messiah, this Savior, unless you reckon with the reality that's going on in your lives right now. You want to show up and get swept up in the emotion, pat yourself on the back, hey, even buy the t-shirt, right? But then you want to go right back. Just keep going, keep going. John, as he continues, he exposes the faulty way of thinking as well. These, These people, he says, you think that because of your past, you're all good. You don't need to change. There's nothing for you to reckon with because, well, you know, we were a part of the chosen lineage. I come from this background. This is my past. I'm all good because of who my ancestors are. Don't get me wrong. Where we come from matters. But I wonder if John is saying that your past might be an explanation for how you got here, but it is not an excuse, nor does it allow you to be exempt from dealing with where you are in reality and where it is you're going. Again, John's job here is to prepare the way for Jesus. He's stirring things up. He's putting the thought in people's mind that their relationship with God has a whole lot more to do with other things than just their ancestry and their heritage. This is new. What do you mean, John? We've always been good because we're, we're the children of Abraham. It's like, stop resting on your past when God wants to deal with your present. And this is John's response. He says, no, God could make children of Abraham from stones. Cut it all down. This tree is dead and not producing fruit. Cut it all down. This is not how we identify righteousness and right standing with God based on your heritage. No, that's not how this works. Imagine that they were surprised by what it is they were hearing. It's like, sheesh, John, we showed up to your event. We came to your party, and now you're going to yell at us? But I appreciate what their response is, as John is kind of calling them to be aware of their reality. They go, well, then what should we do? Okay, if this is reality, okay, well, then what should we do? John answers, the crowd, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone with food should do the same. And to the tax collectors who say, what should we do? He says, don't collect any more money than you're required to. And to the soldiers, what should we do? Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Notice who it is that is coming out to hear this message and be baptized. The crowd, the regular folks, the tax collectors who are essentially traitors to the crowd. And then the soldiers, the ones who were oppressing the crowd. 
Right here we see that John is preparing the way for something radically new and different because all three of these people, they should not be finding solidarity and joy and good news in the same message. They're essentially enemies, and yet this good news that John is preaching regarding the coming of Jesus is a message for all people. This Again, this is something new. So to the crowds, as he's talking about looking what you have and giving things away, and then to the tax collectors, don't take more than you're required to, and to the soldiers, don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. These are interesting instructions. And I wonder what the religious leaders at the time were thinking as Jesus is giving these instructions. John doesn't say, you better give more money to the temple. He doesn't say, well, you need to memorize more scripture. He doesn't say, well, you need to go to church more. He doesn't say, well, you need to pray more. No. This isn't what John says. The preparation for the coming of the Messiah has John telling people to take an honest look at what they have and reckon with whether or not it is too much. In response to the question, what do we do so that we're not snakes or worthless trees that should be cut down? This is how John responds. John first answers the crowd's question of what should we do then? It seems to me that John's standard is that if we have any more than what is needed, like truly needed, while there are people in the world who don't have their basic needs met, it is too much. And if I am honest, it is an embarrassing and shocking and demanding for most of us. Because if you have somehow ended up in one of the most expensive cities in the world, even though you might not have all the tech and all the clothes and the views of the skyline and expendable income, chances are you've got more than one shirt. I know I do. Thank God. This is a high standard. Really, really high But this is coming out of a vision for the kingdom where there is absolutely no scarcity. Where people aren't living out of fear, but they see that their relationship to God, they see it as a responsibility to one another. Where there is then a world that exists that is honest and fair and generous and righteous. John and Jesus are inviting us to live in our present reality. Jesus comes with good news that the kingdom of God is here. That there is a way for us to actually move through the world. It is righteous and just. And for many of us, we begin just like the crowds. We're regular folk and we go, okay, well, well, what then should I do? What is in my hands? What is in my home that I actually don't need? that I've been convinced that I do. And this is, this is a hard teaching for all of us. But this is John's first response, that as long as there are those in this world who don't have their needs met, we need to continue to come to God in humility, saying, okay, what do you 
Brown's response to the tax collectors makes me think of those who are in positions that have the potential to help or hurt others financially. When I think of those who own businesses, corporations, are in positions of economic power, or potentially have some political power to be able to change some policies, what part are we doing to secure fair wages and taxation? How can we stop being complacent about business as usual? Just like, oh, well, this is just how it goes. I like to think of John's response to the tax collectors of take only what is required. Not as necessarily what was required by law, but no, really, what is only required to make a city function? And then I think about the soldiers, those who had actual power over other people's lives. John tells them to be content with their status and their pay. Because most likely there were incentives for accusing someone falsely. Getting a higher wage by turning in more criminals. And consistently thinking of yourself and how you can get ahead. Instead, and John is inviting the soldiers to see the humanity of the people that they are potentially exploiting. He doesn't say go to church more. Instead, John is giving a vision for a world that is honest and fair and generous and just and truly righteous, where people are examining what exactly they have, living in reality with what it is they truly need. I think the question for us is, can we move towards the vision that John and Jesus have for the world? The vision for the world that John prepares us to receive in the coming of Jesus where our honoring of God is directly connected to our hospitality towards our neighbors, where we can't honor God with our words while ignoring the needs of our neighbor, and we know that Jesus goes on to radically redefine who our neighbor is. This is a hard teaching for me. It's a hard teaching for many of us. But can we, can we move towards this vision of the world? Can we begin to repent by agreeing with God about the reality that things are not as they should be and in doing so join in with the kingdom that Jesus came to establish? We think about the way that Jesus prays. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. He says, give us. He has this picture where all have what they need each day, where we are forgiving debts, where we are not being drawn into the temptation to lord power over other people. Can we start moving towards a place where we can live in reality about our abundance, asking God, what should we do? to be a part of bringing your kingdom to bear in this world. And here's the thing that I think is amazing, is as we look back at that passage, after John says this hard teaching to these people, they were still, they were waiting expectantly, and they were receiving this as good news. 
Because this is good news to stop pretending and to get out of this ridiculous race to achieve and to acquire, but to instead see ourselves as a part of the agents bringing God's kingdom into this world. Will you pray with me? Lord, this is a hard teaching for me. I like things. I want to have status. I want to be important. I want to move up. I want to achieve. I don't want to have less than what I have. I don't want to feel the burden of caring for others, if I'm honest. And yet, God, I also know the anxiety and the anger that come from being so consumed by what else? What's next? What, do I, what can I get? What can I gain? Instead of being truly free to be dependent on you in all things, trusting that you will provide, that you will care for, and that I can open up my hands and give freely and generously to those around me. Lord Jesus, today I, I pray that all of us would come to you saying, what should we do? As we are preparing in the season, God, what should we do? What then should we do so that we can agree with you about reality and step into this kingdom that you are ushering in all around us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.